John 6, 53 through 69. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna and died, but he who feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue at Capernaum. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, Does this offend you? What if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit, and they are life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe, and who would betray him. He went on to say, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled him. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Find and share life. Excited to spend a couple weeks talking about this with you kind of a vision series for our church. Last year about this time, we talked about being a church on a mission and how we wanted to grow deeper in our faith and reach farther. And that's still true. And, and that was kind of a, a, missional, uh, a missional series that we did about a year ago. And uh, many of you engaged in a lot of praying and, and uh, praying for growth, praying for outreach. And I pray that you would continue to do that. Uh, continue to seek people out that you can invite uh, into our community. I believe that we have a message that the world needs to hear, but also a message that the broader church needs to hear. And we're going to talk about that more today. Uh, we are a place that is trying to figure out what it means to learn to live like Jesus, to do a better job of that. And hopefully along the way we can lead others to do the same. And so this series is a little bit different, even though it kind of shares a similar theme to growing deeper in your faith and reaching farther. Uh, finding life and sharing life is a little bit more personal for us. It's more about who do we want to be as a church? What kind of people do we want to be? And so I'm excited to, to share and to dive into this a little bit today. Um, I want you to imagine for a minute, it may not be so hard for you. Uh, no, it'll be hard for you. Imagine for a moment that you have a hunting camp that you're renting and I've never rented a hunting camp myself but I've talked to people that have you know and as deer season approaches you've got to get ready right you've got to uh, if you, it's especially if it's a brand new camp that you haven't rented before this is some new land that you're on and you got to do some preparation you got to clear some things out you got to 
get your stands where you want them. There's things that have to be done if you want to give yourself the best possible chance to supply your family with meat that year, right? And so let's just pretend for a moment that uh, you're renting this, this uh, hunting camp and you're preparing it. And you're out there and you're moving some brush and you're you know, trying to get rid of some junk that's in your way, kind of clear a path to, uh, to see through and walk through and, and you stumble upon something shiny on the ground. And, and you start to brush the dirt away and, and move things away and, and it turns out it's a gold bar, a big one, a big old bar of gold. And, and then you look a little closer and there's bunches of these things. I mean, they're like very clearly authentic bars of gold wrapped purposefully in fabric and buried under the ground and you just happen to run into one of them. All right, well, you go home that night and uh, you talk it over with your spouse. You make clear what the situation is. And you decide together that you want to buy this hunting camp and not rent it. <laughs> and so you, uh, you call up an agent, you call up whoever you got to have, and you talk to the person that owns the land who you're renting it from, and you say, look, I want to buy your hunting camp. And, and he says, look, you haven't even hunted it yet. I mean, I don't know if it's going to be good hunting for you. I mean, I'm I don't really want to sell it. I don't know what your deal is. Why, why do you suddenly want to buy it? And he just says, look, I just want to buy your hunting camp, right? That's what you say. And name your price, and I'll pay it. So he comes up with some outrageous price. And so you, okay. And you go to the bank, and you find out, can I get a loan for a million dollars? And they say, no, probably not with your credit. Uh, you're going <laughs> to need a, a little bit more of a down payment than most people would. And so what you do is you put your house up for sale that day. And you sell your house, and you sell your cars, and then you go and you empty out your retirement accounts, and you somehow, you, I mean, you don't have any furniture left, you don't have anything left except the shirt on your back, but you manage to put down the down payment, get the loan, and buy the camp. Now, that, that investment, that camp that you just bought, just cost you everything. Was it worth it? And you consider that just one or two of those bars of gold will pay for what you just paid for that camp. And then all the rest, you can just rebuild whatever life you want, right? Jesus told a story kind of like that. He told a story about uh, a guy, it's a very short story, much shorter than my story. Uh, you probably wish that I teach more like Jesus, but <laughs> he was short and sweet and to the point. A guy found a treasure buried in a field and he went and sold everything to buy the field so he could have the treasure. He also told a similar story of a guy that found a pearl that was so beautiful and so priceless and so precious that he sold everything he had to buy it and have this one pearl. We're talking about finding life and so was Jesus. He was talking about that there's a certain kind of life, a kingdom life that Jesus came announcing and offering making available to everyone that was so rich and good that you'd be willing to give up everything to lay hold of it once you see how good it is. When you discover that treasure, when you see that pearl and behold its beauty, 
You know, sometimes people approach the Christian life and it looks and feels like a big sacrifice if you were to take Jesus seriously. If you were to seriously engage in Jesus' way of life, that it's a big cost. There's a big cost to that. You, you give up so many fun things in life, so many of the pleasures of life that life has to offer. It seems like you'd need to give up wealth, potentially. Give up uh, you know, partying. Give up whatever appealing things, give up, you know, perhaps eating the way you want or living the way you want or doing what you have to, sometimes you end up feeling guilt or shame for things that people in the world, they don't have to feel guilty or shame about because uh, who cares? They don't believe in all this anyway. There's a, a high cost that comes and sometimes we focus on the cost of what it takes to find life in Jesus, what it takes to be a disciple of Jesus. But we we forget, we forget the, to balance the, the balance sheet, right? To find out at the end, is the cost worth it or not? Do you end up in the red or in the black at the end of the day? When you punch the numbers, how does it pan out for you? And I suggest, just as Jesus suggested, that his way of life is so rich and so good, so worthwhile, that it would be worth any cost that it might cost you. In fact, it's hard to even call it a cost, considering what you gain. Why wouldn't we want to find such a life? I want to speak with you today about finding life in Jesus. The passage that we read today comes from the Gospel of John. It's the fourth Gospel that we have. And it's pretty weird. Did you notice that it was pretty weird? Uh, it's not one that we typically preach from. Uh, you know, anytime that your fearless leader, Jesus, is talking about what sounds like cannibalism, you just kind of steer clear of that one. It's like people when, they're, you know, when their favorite politician says something crazy, then they're like, yeah, let's not focus on that. <laughs> let's brush that one aside. Jesus said, My flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. And he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. And that's just weird. I don't care who you are. <laughs> so maybe some context would help. Have you ever noticed that, like, news articles nowadays. No matter what your news source is, if you tune into the media, uh, they've probably got an agenda and they probably have some people they like and some people they don't like. And have you ever noticed that when one of these people, these politicians or celebrities, uh, that they like says something crazy, they bend over backwards to give you the context of, well, you know, this is what they were talking about and this is you know, what they meant, if you read between the lines. Um, and then if it's someone they don't like, then they'll search for things that you could, they could take out of context and make it a headline so that it's you know, newsworthy and sounds crazy. Have you ever noticed that happening? And so a similar thing can happen with Jesus here if we take him out of context. If we just pull this verse out of thin air and start talking about, look what Jesus said. You know, he said, you need to eat him and drink him. Drink his blood. It's pretty weird. Now the people he talked to, they knew the context. 
and they still thought it was a pretty hard thing to hear. But I'm not sure how much of that was uh, just the extreme language and the image, the word picture that he was using that made them uncomfortable, and how much of it was just what exactly he was actually saying that they got because they understood the context and they just didn't really want to hear it. So if you back up in John chapter 6, you find the story that probably most of us are familiar with of Jesus feeding 5,000 people from just a few loaves and fish. He multiplies it out to the point where this huge crowd of 5,000 men plus however many women and children were there, this massive crowd sits down, Jesus gives the Father thanks for the tiny little bit of food that they have, and then he starts breaking it, and it starts multiplying, and the disciples begin to hand it out and pass it out to everyone in baskets until everyone has eaten as much as they can eat and there's 12 baskets left over. This is such a big miracle in their day that it, it makes all four gospel accounts. It's, you know, not everything about Jesus shows up in all four gospel accounts. They each tell slightly different stories, especially John. But, but this one they all include about Jesus. After that, Jesus sends the disciples across the sea back to their home base in Capernaum. They were across the Sea of Galilee from Capernaum. So he gets them in the boat and says, you know, head on back without me, I'll meet up with you. And he sends the crowd away. They camp out under the stars that night, whatever the case is. Jesus goes up on the mountain and prays and he sees a storm come up and the wind blowing against his disciples' boat. And he walks out across the water to them. And climbs in the boat and then they make it safely to the other shore. So Jesus is in Capernaum across the Sea of Galilee when the crowd wakes up. And so word travels quickly, people catch up quickly, and they say, Jesus, what happened? You were hanging out with us, then you're gone, then where? And you didn't have a boat, and when did you get here? And you know, this is when this conversation comes up. Jesus says, why are you looking for me so hard? <laughs> is it me? Or did you just really like having all that bread and fish? See, Jesus understood something that was going on in their hearts, and it goes on in a lot of our hearts too, that those people, may have, many of them may not have eaten that good ever. Endless fish and bread until they couldn't fit any more in their stomachs and there was leftovers left. Probably a lot of them couldn't remember being that full and that satisfied in a long time. And they show back up, Jesus, get us some more of that stuff. <laughs> we want to hang out with you. And Jesus says, really? You just want more bread? More fish? That's not life. What you need is me. So this is the context of what he's saying. My flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Jesus says, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. What he's saying is the things of the flesh, the 
the material things, things like food, like clothes, like money in the bank, like a retirement account that's stocked. These things that we enjoy, our toys, our, our recreation, our vacations, our lifestyle, all these things, they profit nothing. Those, that's not life. It's just the trappings of life. It's the Spirit who gives life. Finding life is a, is a spiritual matter. You can't find good life by just getting more things or getting the right things or even finding the right people or having the right relationship. Or it, it comes spiritually. It comes on the inside. It's something that has to change within you, about you, the essence of who you are, your character, your thoughts, your feelings. These make up life and it's a, it's a spiritual matter. And the words that Jesus speaks to us, what he offers us is spirit and life. What we need, what they need, is not the gifts or blessings of God in this material world. What we need is Jesus. His life, his words in us. He's saying instead of looking for another miracle and another meal, you should be looking for me and for my words, which have the power to give you true life. People got upset by this. I, again, I'm not sure how much of it was they didn't like the imagery. They didn't like this talk about eating flesh and drinking blood, kind of an extreme image. And how much of it was just being told, yeah, you're looking for handouts. Uh, what I'm offering is something far more. And many of them just wanted more bread. They just wanted more fish. They just wanted God to give them what they wanted. But it was material. It was fleshly. And Jesus knew that if they were ever going to have true life, good life, then they needed more than bread and fish. So many of them left, and many of his own disciples left, people who had been following him, trying to learn from him. So this is too much for us. And Jesus said to the twelve, you don't want to go away also, do you? And Simon Peter answers, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. He has the words of eternal life. I want to talk to you just for a brief moment about what is this life that we keep talking about. It's so good, right? I said it's so good, it's like a treasure. It's like gold bars on your hunting camp. It's so good that no matter what it costs you, even if it costs you everything, it'd be worth it. What is it? What is this life? Eternal life. That's the adjective. Eternal is the adjective often used to describe the life that Jesus came to offer. 
And we come to associate that with heaven in our culture today. I don't believe it's always been so. So we hear that Jesus came to offer eternal life and we just process that as Jesus came to offer us heaven. It's a spiritual thing, not a flesh thing. It's a, you know, we need to escape this fleshly world and live in a spiritual heaven. And that that's what he's offering. But in fact, eternal is just, as I said, an adjective in front of the word life. It's a kind of life. It's the way of life that lasts forever. That is eternal because it's God's way of life. And God is eternal. Eternal means that it has no beginning and it has no end. Now we know that we have a beginning, but God doesn't have a beginning. And his, this life that Jesus came to offer us has always been because God has always been. And it always will be because God always will be. That's the kind of life it is. It's the kind of life that's so good and so right, so correct, that it lasts forever. It's so good that you'd want it to last forever. I mean, let's be honest. A lot of us wouldn't really want our life to last forever. <laughs> There's a lot of problems we deal with. There's a way of life that if you just let it keep going, it would be so miserable eventually that we call it hell. But there's a way of life that's so good, so rich, so pure, so right, that you'd want it to last forever. And it does, because it's God's. When Jesus taught, he had one command. Over and over, this was his theme. What is the greatest command? Love God. Love your neighbor. This is my command, he said. Love one another as I have loved you. He redefined love by his words and by his action. Ultimately, with his sacrificial death on the cross for you and for me, he defined what love looks like. Not as the world defines love, but as he defined love. Love. Willing to pursue someone else's good, even at your own expense. This, he said, is his way of life. We're told and taught that God is love. And if you had to pick one word to describe what this eternal kind of life is made up of, you'd pick that word. Love. It sums up everything about that way of life. If you love God and love others the way that Christ demonstrated love, then you are truly in God's life. It's like God's life is this stream, a river, that flows from the beginning of time to the end of time. It's the river love. And you have your little boat, or big boat, whatever kind of boat you've got. Pick your own boat. You can have a kayak, you can have a fishing boat, John boat, I don't care. Pick your boat and shove out. And you can try to paddle upstream, you can try to find a different river, goodness knows there's plenty of rivers 
people are trying to travel out there. Or you can put your boat into the current of an eternal stream, a way of life that has been and always will be eternal. It's the way of life that is love. And when you experience God's love for you and begin to live as he has loved you unto others, then you step into a kind of life that's worth living forever and that goes on forever. And when we do that together, as we'll talk about more next week, when we share that kind of life, then we get to experience a little piece of heaven on earth. Someday Jesus will return. He'll set up a new heaven and a new earth. And God's way will be the way. His will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then we'll know in full. But right now, in this very moment, we have these words of life. We have Jesus, not in the flesh, as he appeared to them, but in spirit. And we have his words of life. And his offer still stands good today, I believe. Do you believe that? He's still alive and well. He overcame the grave. His words that he spoke to them, the offer stands. You can find life. It's available to you. It doesn't look like a bigger retirement account. It doesn't look like a bigger salary. It doesn't look like a nicer house or fancier cars. It doesn't look like any of those things. It looks like Jesus. It looks like love. The way he taught us to love. And it's so good. It doesn't sound good on the surface because we're brainwashed by this world and by sin. We're corrupted by it. It sounds preposterous in some ways that purposing someone else's good at your own expense could be good for you. <laughs> could be enjoyable. Could be rich and enriching. And yet it's so good and so true and so right. If you'll step out in faith how do we find this life? Jesus told us. The Apostle John told us. The Apostle John, the same guy who wrote this gospel, clearly wrote these epistles, letters, that we have to the early church um, called 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. 1 John is all about this theme. Finding life in Jesus by abiding in Jesus. Just as Jesus said, uh, let me back up one more time. Just as Jesus said that he who takes me and who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. John picks up on that theme in his letter to the early church and said, you've got to abide in Jesus. You have to abide. And if you abide in Jesus, that's when you'll overcome sin in your life that has such a stranglehold on you, that has you in its grips and won't let you go no matter how hard you try, that's because you're never going to beat it by trying harder. You've got to abide in Jesus. He said the kind of love that Jesus commanded us to live, you're never going to accomplish that just by trying harder to love. You've got to abide in Jesus. That's where it happens. That's when it happens. You can't obey Jesus' commands 
in your own power and in your own strength and by your own intentions. You can't just do it. You've got to abide in Jesus. That's the pathway. That's how you find life. Jesus said, you need me. You need me. You need my words, their spirit and their life. If you like filling out your note card, our point today is life is found in being with Jesus. And we're going to talk briefly about practically how you do that. Life is found in being with Jesus. It's not found by trying harder. It's not found by good intentions. It's not found by faith alone even. Faith is the pathway there. It takes faith to believe in Jesus, that Jesus is who he says he is, that life can be found in Jesus. But if you want to experience that life, then you've got to spend time with Jesus. Abide in him. That's what he said. That's what his apostles said. That if we want to find this life, there's only one source for it. And so by faith we come. To be with Jesus. How do we do that? So it was pretty obvious for them how to do that. And some of them took him up on it. And they gave up everything, didn't they? They gave up everything. They walked away from their careers, from their families. And they followed him. They were with him. Physically with him. And they heard his words. And his words became life welling up within them. What about us? Jesus said we've got it better. Because his spirit is available to you and to me. There would be no way if he was physically here that we could all get time with him. I mean just the Christians in this community of West Monroe alone would be too many people to crowd around and really have time abiding with Jesus. But because Jesus sent his spirit, we can abide with him. How do we abide with a spirit? Right? That's kind of weird. Well, do you believe that you are a spiritual being? That there's more to you than flesh and blood? Or do you think that that's all that you are? It's just some cells and some nerves and neurons firing. I think if you think about it very hard, you wouldn't even need the Bible to tell you that there's more to you than flesh and blood. You have a character, you have feelings, you have experiences that can't just be explained by biology. You are something and someone unique. You're a spiritual being. And God is spirit. And the Holy Spirit certainly is spirit. And we're used to interacting with physical people. And the rules aren't really that much different with spiritual people. Right? With a spirit. Like, if you want to be with someone, then you sit down with them, right? 
And the difference is, uh, you know, if I sit down and share a meal with Julie, we can gaze into each other's eyes and, uh, and we can share a meal and we can hear each other munching and we can talk to each other about you know, what we like in the meal, what we don't. We spend time together and we can see each other. And when you spend time with Jesus, it's awkward because... You don't see someone else. You don't hear someone else. You don't feel someone else with your touch. But the principle still applies. You have to sit down and be with him. He promises that if we'll draw near to him, he'll draw near to us. He tells us to persist and don't lose heart. I think he knew. It would be a little bit odd for us. It would be a little difficult for us who are so bound up by the physical and the present material needs that we experience that it would be hard for us to carve out significant amounts of time just to sit and be with a spiritual being. He said, persist and don't lose heart. Man, this is, this is where I'm at in my faith right now. I want to experience more of Jesus. I, I want to figure out this being with him spiritually thing. And it's uncomfortable for me to sit down and do nothing else but just be available to spend time with him. My to-do list needs to keep doing, right? I've got things to do. And my brain is busy all the time. All the time. I like to keep noise going. If I'm bored, then, you know, let me get out a screen or something to occupy my brain and my time. And so I'm having to try and learn the skills of solitude and silence, carving out space and time in a busy world to be with Jesus because that's where life is found. I can't find it by doing more stuff. I have to find it spending time with Jesus. So my first piece of advice for you, maybe you already have tons of this in your life and you don't need it, maybe the next thing will help you out. But my first piece of advice to you is to carve out time to spend with Jesus. To be with Him. You're going to have to find time to be quiet. To be still. To cut out the noise. To turn off the TV. To turn off the radio. To turn off the music. It's hard to find quiet in this world, but make it your mission. It's worth it. What will it cost you? It might cost you a lot to find much time to spend with Jesus. Would it be worth it if you found life? One more thing. Being with someone is a relationship that takes communication, give and take. And so we have Jesus' words for us, recorded for us. I still believe that his spirit speaks to our spirit as well. But we also have his words recorded for us by those who did see him and touch him and spend time with him. So spend time with his word. Study his word. Memorize his word so you can think on his word. Spend time thinking about it. Find something in Jesus' word, in the teachings of his apostles, as they relayed his teachings, and, 
and think about it. Spend a day, spend a week thinking about 1 Corinthians 13, what love looks like. That it's patient and kind and go on down the list. As you go through that list, you'll find you've got room to grow. And you'll find that it's impossible to get there on your own. You'll find that you'll need to spend some time thinking about Jesus' words and being with him so that he can help get it through to you. And pray. You receive his words and you have words as well. Speak with Jesus. Abide with him. But your prayer life and your study life of, with scripture, it won't amount to much unless you stop. Unless you realize that this physical, material world, the flesh, as Jesus said, profits nothing. What you need is Jesus. More of him. Time with him. You need his words because his words are life. You need them in you. Eat his flesh, drink his blood. It's weird, but it's what you need. You need Jesus in you. Abide in him. He will abide in you. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in them will bear much fruit. At Cypress Street Church, we're not trying to make converts, as it were. We're not offering fire insurance, a get-out-of-hell-free card to people. What we're offering is life. Life that you can step into a life so good that it lasts forever. That's what Jesus came to offer. And that life is found in being with Jesus. I found these words this week. Words of what we can hope for from this life. I'll share a few of them with you. You can learn to drop your insistence on your way and allow joy to bubble up from within you. You can learn to really love your life and be thankful for it, even though it may contain difficulties. You'll find that worry will increasingly fall away. You'll find everything you really need is taken care of, moment by moment, day by day. You can experience a power operating in your life that makes it very difficult to have a bad day. Joy and peace will be with you even in the hardest of circumstances running through you like a deep underground river. Your thoughts and feelings and desires can be transformed. You can learn to be confident and hopeful and not indulge in thoughts of rejection, despair, failure, hopelessness. You'll know better. You can become so aware of God's presence and grace around you that you'll hardly remember how to be gloomy or negative. You'll find that 
God works through your life to bring healing, joy, peace, and goodness to others. It doesn't happen all at once, of course. We have to learn how to do it. But if we take up Jesus' easy yoke of discipleship, he'll teach us. If we abide in him, he'll teach us. If we spend time with him, we'll learn. And then he'll send us to help others. I invite you to this way of life today. Maybe for the first time you say, I'm willing to give up everything for that. Maybe for the first time in a while you just need to hit the reset button and say, look, I've been chasing after the wrong stuff. That's not where life's at. I need Jesus. I hope you'll find life today. And next week we'll talk about sharing that life with each other. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for life. We confess that we chase after many things that cannot give life. Holy Spirit, fill us, we pray. Abide in us as we abide in you. We want the life that Jesus offered. Amen.